Well, thank you for the prayers and the support for many of you that are not with your church family this morning. I know how, uh, how heavy that is. It's good to be with your family. So thank you for coming and joining us here this morning at FRAC. And praise God that Jesus is strong and kind. Amen. <clears throat> he was just really strong but not kind. I don't think I'd want to be around him. If he was really kind and not strong, he might just not be able to do much for us. But there's no one like Jesus who can carry all of those things together. I'm so thankful that he came. He came to us. And in his strength and in his kindness, that's who he is. He is, you could identify Jesus as a strong and kind person, man, as a God who became man. You saw that in his activity, that he showed strength and kindness. Excuse me. And so have you ever thought about this relationship between your identity and your activity? Your identity, who you are, informs your activity and should. If you're a father, your activity would reflect fatherhood. You would lead your family, provide for your kids, protect them, instruct them. You know, if I told you I was a volleyball player, you may immediately have doubts. But if I said I'm a volleyball player, I identify I'm a volleyball player. But I never played volleyball, don't know the rules to the game, don't practice, then you would say, look, Ryan, I I question you when you identify yourself as a volleyball player because your identity as a volleyball player doesn't show up in activity. Your identity leads to activity. Students, their identity as a student, they study. Pilots, their identity as a pilot, they fly planes, that's their activity. Authors, that's their identity is, I'm an author, they write. And in Christianity, this is a really important distinction. God wants us to know our identity and then live out of that identity into the activity of our lives. So who we are, our identity will then inform the way we live. We don't work and do a bunch of activity to gain our identity as God's children. In Christianity, we first get a new identity that then leads to new activity. We become children of God, and then that shows up in our activity as we love our Father, as we obey His commands, as we enjoy His family. And it's dangerous to get that backwards. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But this morning, we're going to see that Jesus' identity will then determine His activity. So we'll see who he is from Mark chapter 1. So open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We'll see who he is, his identity, and what he does, his activity. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent 
and believe in the gospel. So right out of the gate here, we are going to see Jesus' identity as God's son, which is declared at his baptism. So in those days, in verse 9, in those days Jesus came, it's just a broad reference to the time of John's baptizing. Jesus arrives, he's baptized by John, and what's he doing here? The, the other men and women were being baptized as a display of repentance for forgiveness of sins, but Jesus has no sin. He's the Son of God, he has not sinned. So what's he doing here? He's identifying with humanity. He's come to show that he is a man for the people, with the people. He came to save those who knew they were sick, who knew they were sinners. And so he's coming to those people who are, who John is preparing the way for Jesus, right? So he's coming to those people who are now longing for the Messiah. And he identifies with them. Uh, and he is baptized by John. And Mark doesn't spend much time at all on his baptism. Because Mark wants us to see what God says about his son in this moment. And he gives that the focus of the story. The announcement of God is Mark's primary concern, the identity of who Jesus is. And what God pronounces is that this is my beloved son. With him, with you, he says, I am well pleased. The few times in the Gospels that we get to hear God's audible voice all affirm God's particular and special love for Jesus, telling us this is his son. Listen to him. At one point, he tells Jesus that he'll be, he'll be with him in glory again someday. There's a special love between God and Jesus, the son of his love, the object of his affection. A unique love is shared between the father and the son. Then they're not bashful about expressing it. They're not afraid to tell each other that they love each other. They're not insecure if others hear that. They love each other deeply. They have for eternity past, and they will into eternity future. And God calling Jesus, saying, you are my beloved son. Being the son of God is not a term thrown around loosely in the Bible. This is a significant term to be called a son of God, to be identified as the son, is very important. As James Edwards says in one commentary, to no prophet had words been spoken such as the words to Jesus at the baptism. Abraham was a friend of God. Moses was a servant of God. Aaron, a chosen one of God. David, a man after God's own heart. And Paul, an apostle. Only Israel and the king as Israel's leader had been called God's son before. But where Israel failed and every king failed, here comes Jesus taking their place perfectly. Will Jesus fail? He will not fail. Jesus will not fail. Mark wants us to see this connection between Jesus and Israel, God's son, and Jesus and the king who's identified throughout the Bible as God's son. And so, as we'll see in just a minute, they go to the wilderness. Jesus is driven to the wilderness. Well, where was Israel for 40 years? In the wilderness. And that came just after God had said, you, you, Israel is my son. 
free him in Exodus 4. Let him go, Pharaoh, or I will kill your firstborn son. And God gets his son Israel out. And where do they go? Into the wilderness. And we have Jesus being announced. This is my son, and he's about to go to the wilderness. But if you think of Psalm 2 and other places in the Old Testament where God refers to his king as his son. He says, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Psalm 2, 7 and 12. And what will Jesus soon be preaching about here in verse 14 and 15? The kingdom of God is at hand. Here comes the king announcing the kingdom. So Mark's wanting us to see that Jesus is God's son. And in the ways that Israel was God's son and past kings were God's son, here comes Jesus as God's son. And where Israel failed and past kings failed, Jesus will not fail. Jesus will outperform them all. God's going to great lengths. As if the statement wasn't dramatic enough, he split the heavens open to announce it. They're torn open. Mark says. The prophets would, were looking forward to a time when the heavens opened as the time when there's, the kingdom of God would be inaugurated, would be rolled out, would come. And Mark will use the same exact word only one other time in the entire book of Mark. It's in Mark 15, 38, to declare that the temple was torn in two, top to bottom, so here God in Mark 1 is opening the way to his son. And the curtain in the heavens are torn open. And then in Mark 15, Jesus is going to open the way to God when the curtain is torn open. God wants Jesus to know his identity. And it's essential that Jesus knows his identity. He knew it. And all the more so that we know who we are in Christ Jesus. God's going to great lengths. This is being displayed and told to people before Jesus has even begun his ministry. So his identity is being established right now before the flurry of activity in his ministry. His identity will then lead to activity. And in, in a beautiful display, does the Father leave him alone after this? Not, not at all. The heavens are torn open, and, and what descends on Jesus? A, the Spirit of God, like a dove, peacefully coming on Jesus. All that were there saw this. So Jesus, as the identity as the Son of God, is empowered by God himself for the task at hand, for the coming ministry, for the coming work. God says, this is my Son, I'm well pleased in him. I'm delighted in him. He has my special focus. He has my special attention. And I'm going to give him power, this power of the Spirit in his life. So Jesus' identity is established here at the beginning of his ministry. And out of this identity, he's working out this reality. He's doing activity that reflects his, activity, his identity. And everything Jesus does here is going to reflect this identity. And he's about to go into the wilderness. Ministry's about to be really hard, isn't it? Jesus' life was not a bed of roses. Anything but. And you need this kind of certainty for what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. 
Jesus needed this certainty. He needed this identity established before he went into activity. And so too do we. So Jesus is then identity as a son of God, which has notes of being God's beloved son and fulfilling what Israel failed to do, is also God's has notes of him being a king, the king that's come to usher in a new kingdom. Well, then let's see what his activity is. His two activities that we'll see here is that he's come to conquer his foes and usher in a kingdom. Look at verses 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So right away, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. And Jesus knows Israel's history. He knows what's coming. 40 days in the wilderness. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai. Elijah spent 40 days on his way to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. These 40-day ventures were often proving grounds, tests of men's faithfulness. Reminiscent of Israel's failure in 40-year wanderings, Jesus embraces 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. And he's up against Satan himself. How will the Son of God do? Mark would have us wondering. Will he do better than the previous sons of God? And this is genuine, true temptation, right? When a viable option is presented, an alternative choice, you have a temptation. You have a choice to make. Am I going to honor the Lord or am I going to go with the sinful desires of my flesh? And the Spirit empowers Jesus now, thrusting him straight into testing. So Jesus, are you going to use your strengths and status for your own advantage or for the glory of God? And think about this. We, Mark writes it so briefly, and we're probably familiar with it, that it's tempting to move quickly past it. He's being tempted by Satan himself. God's adversary. A personal and supernatural enemy of God who works to oppose God and his kingdom. And he's been at work since the beginning to cause people to doubt God, distrust his word, rebel against his law. When you've had thousands and thousands of years of practice at something, you'll be good at it. Resisting. Jesus was resisting constant temptation from Satan coming on him with force, seeking to bring him down, causing him to test God, question God's word, bow the knee to Satan instead of his father. And think of the constant barrage this must have been for 40 long days. And think of the degree of temptation. You know, the devil made me do it. We, we say things like that in, as children to kind of hope we get out of trouble. But you and I have probably never actually faced Satan. I, that may come as a shock. I don't know. There are more important things in life than Satan coming to do battle with me. <laughs> there are bigger fish to fry on this earth than Ryan Beebe. And I'd love to think he would challenge me, but I would run to Jesus so fast. 
Because look, Satan can only be in one place at one time. He is limited. He is limited. And so you and I have probably never actually faced temptation from the actual presence of Satan himself. I can't speak for all of you. But Jesus did. He looked Satan in the eye, in the wilderness, for four, after 40 days and a long 40 days with no food. I mean, if you miss lunch today, you'll be grumpy. And he's doing battle with Satan, head on. Don't fail to realize how difficult this truly was. Jesus had a foe to face, an enemy to overthrow, an adversary to defeat, sin to forgive, brokenness to restore, new life to usher in. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 says, and he will not fail. He is on a mission and the tempter will be destroyed. So he comes out of this, even though Mark doesn't say it, clearly we know from other gospels, he comes out without yielding to temptation. But look at the reality though of your identity. He's the son of God. That identity does not mean you won't suffer or face temptation, does it? Immediately following God's announcement that he's, this is my son, it's immediate temptation. He's tested. To be a son of God is to face temptation. That's just the normal activity for the children of God. So don't be discouraged if you feel like you're constantly facing temptation. Now, if you're creating the scenarios where you're facing temptation all the time, that is a problem. But the reality of temptation is normal for the Christian, for the son of God. This is an opportunity, though, for you to identify with Jesus, who was in the wilderness, who knows the suffering, who knows the temptation, and who conquered it, and who can give you strength to conquer it as well. And remember, too, that temptation is not a sin. Be careful that you don't feel guilt for the existence of temptation. Have you ever beat yourself up for being tempted? I have. Don't be discouraged. That's, that's normal for the believer. I used to beat myself up. Man, why are you always being tempted, Ryan? Well, you're tempted because we're fallen people in a fallen, broken world where sin exists. We're not fully glorified yet. That's normal. Guilt comes when we sin and give in to temptation. But temptation is that reality for us until Christ comes back. And though we fail from time to time, Jesus did not. Jesus did not. And this comes out throughout the rest of the New Testament in Hebrews too. Jesus partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those, that's you and me, and deliver us who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We're no longer enslaved to sin if we have trusted in Jesus Christ. And the power that he overcame Satan with in the wilderness is now available for you to resist temptation. It's yours in Christ. And Jesus is seen here from Mark. He's gonna be victorious right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. His identity as the son of God causes him to conquer his foes. Let me give you just some encouragement in this battle for temptation. 
Look at the end of verse 13. The angels were ministering to Jesus. We need help. The Lone Ranger's a dead ranger. We need help following Jesus. Jesus had angels that came to him and served him amidst temptation. You and I need help too. One day I was driving in Kentucky and it was a season of pretty strong temptation. And as I was driving, I try not to text and drive, so I voice texted, right? I said to my pastor, Cam, I said, Cam, will you pray for me, man? I'm fighting temptation a lot right now. Sent. And he writes me back. Uh, yeah, I know Tim well. I'll be praying for you. I said, what? So I pull up my phone at the stoplight and, you know, voice to text, it's supplied. I'm fighting temptation. What, you know, voice to text doesn't read your heart, I guess. Yeah, so, but, but the cool thing about it was that Cam knew exactly what I was saying. And he said, look, I know Tim well. <laughs> and so every now and then when we talk through in the office, like, Tim's been tough lately, man. Pray for me, you know. Uh, God sent Jesus, his angels to serve him. We don't know what the nature of that was, but Perhaps one of the strongest helps you have in temptation is sitting in this room right now. A text away, a phone call away, a breakfast away, where you open up your heart. Look, this is what I'm battling. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm struggling here. So God, God gives Jesus this clear identity that he's the son of God. He recognizes that. He announces that. Jesus comes out of temptation victorious, pleasing his father. And remember, though, that there are kingship connections to being God's son. And so right out of this temptation where he's come out victorious, he's about to usher in a kingdom. Look at verse 14 and 15. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he, he comes out after victory announcing a kingdom. John had said he must decrease and Jesus must increase. And we're seeing that play out as John's arrested here. But here comes Jesus proclaiming the gospel of God. This good news surrounding the person of Jesus Christ himself. In typical Mark fashion, he abbreviates much of the teaching ministry of Jesus here. So we'll have to supply what the gospel is. But we... We can learn from the apostles in the early church here. They, they came to notice and recognize the gospel in a broad sense, referring to the works of Jesus himself, who he is and what he did. And then they went on to label the first four books of the New Testament, the gospels, the history of Jesus, who he is, what he did. And so, as Alicia pointed out in October, our, our focus in the conversations is going to be on the gospel, what the gospel is doing overseas, what is the content of the gospel? How do you connect the gospel to your own life? And then how, how do we hear somebody share a testimony in a way that's relatable? So we want you to join us. But why would we give so much work to the gospel? It's because after Jesus defeats Satan in the wilderness, he just comes out proclaiming the gospel. You know, usually when you have a victory, you like to boast about it. 
like, well, look at that. Look what I did. Look at me. You know, it drives me crazy in, in football. You know, cornerbacks don't even make a play on the pass. The receiver misses it, and they start waving their hands like they did something. You know, they celebrate every little victory if they had no part in the play even. And I just want to tell them, get back to the line of scrimmage. Play the game. Drives me crazy. I was a lineman, right? You just did what you did every day. It didn't matter. Every play, nobody cared. So Jesus could have gone in. Hey, look what I just did. That's not what he did. He just comes out announcing the kingdom of God, proclaiming the times fulfilled, the kingdom of God's at hand, repent and believe the gospel. And why is that? Because the gospel advances, the kingdom advances through the good news of Jesus. As we share the good news, the gospel advances the power of God into salvation and the kingdom of Christ extends and goes out. It's very different from other kings trying to deliver a kingdom. So that the time is fulfilled, he says. This is a dawn of salvation has arrived. The fullness of time is here. God's purposes in Christ were being realized in this moment. The fullness of time to unite all things in Christ. And he says the kingdom of God's at hand. It's near. Not, not in the sense that you can now come in. Beforehand, there was no kingdom. But in the sense that in the person of Jesus Christ, the kingdom has made, been made personal. It's realized in the Son of God, the King, Jesus Christ. Where Christ is, the kingdom of God is. And Jesus will teach the entrance into the kingdom comes through new birth. When the Holy Spirit awakens us to faith in Christ and we believe in him. We're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his beloved son. And in this new kingdom, we have new citizenship, new identity. And then in this kingdom, God cares deeply for his own. He has proven himself faithful to you through the years, hasn't he? He provides for your every need. And so the, king is, the kingdom is hard to see, but where the king is reigning, where Jesus is reigning, is where the kingdom of God is. And everywhere we go with Jesus' rule in our lives, there are kingdom outposts where the kingdom of God is spreading and expanding right here and out to the ends of the earth. And when you hear this good news, that you can become a part of the kingdom through Christ that evokes a response. That demands a response. And so Jesus says, repent and believe. Repent. Turn from sin to Jesus and believe in who he is and what he's done. And this is where our identity then changes. Through, throughout the New Testament, it's expressed that those who believe in Jesus Christ are now united to him by faith. And that's where his identity as the son and the king becomes a shared identity with us because we are in him. And God's special love for his son is now his special love for you. And someday we will reign with Jesus in his kingdom. How that works itself out in detail, I don't fully know but we will rule with Jesus. And so Jesus is God's son and united to him, you are too through faith. Jesus conquered temptation 
and in him you can too. We're more than conquerors through Christ. Jesus ushers in his kingdom and in him we will reign with him. The kingdom consists of joy and righteousness and peace in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is contained with the, the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us to live the king's ways, to obey the king's laws. Not just in talk, not just in power, not just in talk rather, but in power. The power of the Spirit of God alive and at work in us. And so Mark is telling us that the kingdom has appeared in Jesus and that kingdom advances through the proclamation of the gospel. Through the proclamation of the gospel. Has our Lord saved you? Are you in his kingdom? Do you know your new identity as the son of the living God? And a citizen in his kingdom. Because your identity now flows, your activity now flows from that identity. Being a son of God and being a citizen in his kingdom now transforms the way you live. Let your identity in Christ shape all of your activity. If we get this backwards and we try to do all the good deeds and we try to be active for Jesus to show up so that we can prove we're sons or so that we can prove we're part of the citizens, we're citizens now in the kingdom, we're going to dry up. That's legalism. That's earning salvation. That's completely forgetting grace. It's completely forgetting the work of Jesus Christ that he did for you. When we receive the gift of being united to Christ by faith, that we are now sons of God, and that we are now citizens in his kingdom, and we receive the security that brings, and the spirit of God is poured out upon us richly, just like it was Christ Jesus, then our activity flows from that identity, and we live lives that are pleasing to our Lord. So I want to end with one encouragement from the text and one comfort. One encouragement and one comfort. So, so take courage here. Sometimes you may feel insignificant. You may feel like our lives don't really matter that much. We're not that big of a deal. Jesus can probably use somebody somewhere else. Where did Jesus go in verse 14? He went to Galilee. Now, this is just a small, insignificant kind of settler region on the west side of Galilee, not the place where, or the Sea of Galilee, not the place where a king would go to make a big splash. And the normal and insignificant places are places of promise. They're places of opportunity for the gospel. It's in Galilee where Jesus met the most success in his ministry, and he met great popularity. Your neighborhood... Your across-the-fence conversation with your neighbors, your schools, your online presence, your workplace, conversations around the water, tower, whatever, if people still go to those and talk, I don't know. Seems insignificant. That's where the kingdom of Christ advances. So take courage. Wherever you are is significant because Jesus will work there. He'll work there. And finally, take comfort. This wild beast reference has kind of stymied me for a while. Like, what is, why did he mention wild beasts? 
I know nature is red in tooth and claw. If you've been in nature much, you know that. So I know he, Jesus was fully immersed into a broken world. But I think there's something else remember, worth remembering here is that Mark's writing to Roman Christians who are likely under Nero's persecution. And Nero was ruthless. It's a time when Christians would be fed to the beasts, thrown out to the beasts, and people wouldn't be entertained by that. And it's even cited that Nero would clothe people in beast clothing and then set dogs on them. Christians, rather. Christians, for being Christians. This is what Nero would do. And I just think, Mark has in mind these Christians suffering at the hands of wild beasts, maybe seeing their, their loved ones suffer, maybe seeing church members suffer, and saying, Jesus has been there. Jesus has been with the wild beasts in the wilderness. And he will attend to you there too. Because if we go out with the gospel, we're likely to meet ridicule, resistance. We may feel embarrassed. It's nothing new to Jesus. He's with you there in it. He is right there with you. Let your identity as a son or a daughter in the kingdom determine your activity. Enjoy your father. You're a son of God. Enjoy your father. Submit to your king. And then announce the goodness and glory of Jesus Christ often to see his kingdom, his kingdom advance in this world through the gospel proclaimed by you. Let's pray together. Great God and Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son, Christ Jesus, who loved us and gave himself up for us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that through faith in you, we can be united to you and we can come to know you as our king and come to know the beauties and glories of sonship in this life, being a son of our eternal father in heaven who has an inheritance for us, undefiled, reserved, kept in heaven. We look forward to the day when we see you, Lord Jesus, but we wanna see your kingdom come now. So help us know and rest in our identity as sons and daughters of the living God as citizens in your kingdom and then let our activity flow from that as we go and we announce your kingdom and see your kingdom extend to the ends of the earth starting right here in Colorado Springs. Thank you, Lord, that you're faithful. What you've started, you will surely do it. So we pray that now as we sing, let your kingdom come, you would empower us and fill us with hope to see your kingdom go out. We ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our great King.